0: Good morning, my name is Bill Bowdell. It's my privilege to be among you as a guest speaker again for this fourth or fifth time. I served the Bethany congregation nearby for nine and a half years in the 90s and have retired back to that area and maintained connection (coughs) with this church through friendship with your pastor, friendship with you, and the enjoyment of hearing this magnificent bell choir this morning. Wasn't that wonderful? Some of you here and some of you watching online have seen the Lion King musical at the Aronoff Center with over 200 plus puppets and costumes that are animated by people. Or you've seen Jim Henson's Muppets with Miss Piggy, Kermit the Frog, and don't you just love those two grumpy gray hairs in the balcony? (laughs) Puppets can really entertain us. But puppets are limp and hollow and lifeless unless people animate them with human voices and human hands. Today's generation, I'm afraid, is tempted to treat Jesus like a hollow puppet. We project our opinions into Jesus and make Jesus like a puppet who says what we want him to say and approves what we want him to do. When Janet and I visit our granddaughters in Kentucky, they often want me to play with them making shapes with Play-Doh. I've molded things like dolphins, cats, human faces, sharks, and more. Plato, you see, is so malleable that you can shape it however you want. But if we try to reshape and remodel Jesus to match our preferences, we don't really serve the real Jesus. We just worship a false imitation. Now, some generations tried to make God so static and distant and unreachable that he seems so far beyond us. But I think our generation tries to do the opposite. We're so in the culture of freedom-loving America, with all of our individualism, that we try to seek to make a Jesus so much like us that he affirms everything that we do and never challenges us. In today's Bible verses, God reminds us, God does not change like a chameleon to copy every latest trend that comes blowing through the air. There are two words, two words that I'm going to focus on this morning that are in all of our Bible text. The two words show us who God is. The two words show us who Jesus is. And the two words from the mouth of Paul show who God wants us to be. You can see the two words in my sermon title and in your series title for this series of messages, the two words, I am. Let's visit three different scenes in the scripture where the I am words are used. And first, I want you to walk with me into the grounds of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And there, we'll see Jesus standing there, circled by a group of angry Jewish teachers. They are claiming Abraham is their father in the faith, because you see, he was their ancestor both physically and in faith 2,000 years before that moment but hear their hostile attack on Jesus. You can hear it in their tone. Are you greater than Abraham? Who do you think you are? And Jesus' answer stunned them. He declared, Before Abraham was born, I am. Now Jesus' words may seem dull and tame to us, but those very words almost got Jesus killed early. His accusers scrambled to grab nearby rocks, ready to mash his skull and kill him by stoning. Why did Jesus' words upset them so badly? Jesus, you see, was claiming to be greater than their favorite Abraham, their forefather. Jesus was claiming even to exist before Abraham's birth, 2,000 years before. And Jesus was claiming to be divine, the great I Am using one of God's names that God had used to describe himself. The question for the series has been, who is Jesus? Fifty years ago, I was nervous on one special day when I was walking into a Lexington mental hospital for the purposes of gaining additional pastoral training. Well, as an aside, aren't we all feeling kind of anxious these days? It seems almost like our whole world is a mixed up mental hospital. And included within the mix ups are a few with scary scary sociopathic patients, and some of them in halls of power with their finger trying to get too too close to nuclear launch buttons. Back to Lexington. In that Lexington mental hospital, there was a male patient that stood up near me. He was friendly. I could still see him wearing the bib overalls, and he had a daisy tucked into his pocket. I introduced myself. I am Bill Bowdle. What's your name? And he caught me off guard when he replied, I am Jesus Christ. Oh, he seemed kind. He seemed sincere. He seemed calm. And my heart went out to him because I could sense that he was struggling with very deep delusions of grandeur. But what about when Jesus was claiming divinity in Jerusalem? Was he also afflicted by delusions of grandeur? Or in the words of his accusers and his attackers in those moments, was he guilty of being possessed by a demon? Jesus stood there, calm, composed, confident, but they wondered how could he pretend to outrank Abraham? How could he apply God's holy name to himself? There it is, two contrary pictures of Jesus. Demonic or divine? A madman or the Messiah? A hollow puppet or the heavenly prophet? Now to be sure, Jesus was fully divine. He had human flesh that could feel the sting of the flagellations of the whip that the soldiers brought against him. He had blood that they could spill. He had lungs that quit breathing and a heart that stopped beating (coughs) there upon the cross. He was fully human. But the Bible also declares that he was fully divine. In Matthew, he's called Emmanuel, which being interpreted means God with us. In John, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. In Colossians, Paul has this verdict about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Now his rock grave could not lock Jesus in a prison of death. The third day on Easter Sunday, he rose from the dead, and he appeared alive to a group of women, to the 11 disciples, eventually to a group of 500 believers, All of that before he ascended to heaven, 40 days after Easter. In Romans, Jesus was declared the Son of God in power by his resurrection, says Paul. Now, Jesus' disciples, I am persuaded, did not embellish his story by injecting false doses of divinity into his human DNA. Don't forget that on the Easter weekend, before Easter Sunday, his disciples were defeated. His disciples were doubters. They weren't so anxious to believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that promise of what was coming until they met the risen Christ. And then in 2 Peter 1.16, Peter assures us if we have doubts about their credibility. He says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He was excited about that which he had seen and touched and known. They knew, and Jesus knew, his divine identity. And he claimed for himself as he walked this earth a divine name that God had revealed to Moses in the Old Testament, as Jesus said, before Abraham was born. I am. Now let's shift back into the Old Testament scene, that second scene, to learn more about that name, I am. What was happening in Exodus? In Exodus, the Egyptians were abusing the Jewish people and race as slaves. But those Jewish slaves were multiplying so rapidly that Pharaoh ordered the killing of the infant males in order to slow their expansive growth. To save her son, Moses' mother floated the infant Moses in a basket in the bathing waters that were near Pharaoh's daughter. She saw the basket floating there and asked that the basket be retrieved, and she rescued infant Moses and then adopted him into her household. Forty years, four decades later, Moses left that adoptive Egyptian family and he rejoined the Hebrew people. And then 40 more years, four decades later, at age 80, Moses met God at the burning bush where God called him to be the deliverer to rescue the Jews from slavery and bondage in Egypt. As most of us would probably do, Moses protested. (coughs) He said that the people won't accept my leadership. I have no standing with them that they would accept me. And he questioned God if they asked me who it is that has told me to lead them out of Egypt, what will I tell them? What is your name, O God? And here in scene 2, God revealed a sacred, simple name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them, I am has sent you. But that name doesn't sound so special, so marvelous here to us. We use those two words all the time. I am Bill Battle, child of a farmer. I am brother of seven others. I am a husband to Janet. I am a father of Faith and Philip. And I'm a grandparent to four of God's most precious gifts to humanity, <laughs> except your grandkids. <laughs> or you might say, if you were speaking, I am Jane, a Mason physician. I am John, a Chester CEO. I'm James. A Lakota coach. We may say I am all the time. But we can't say it like God said it. Only God can fully say I am who I am. Only God can truly say no one created me. No one birthed me. No one can redesign me. I am who I am. And eternally so. God is not a hollow puppet not a play, play-doh deity that we can just reshape however we want and to whom we can insert our hand to make him say whatever we want him to say. God is the ultimate solid rock of reality.
1: And oh, how much
0: we need to look to, lean upon, and stand upon that solid rock of divine reality. God alone is self-existing. God alone is self-caused. God alone is self-defining. He is the great I am that could say, I am who I am. But well, God used Moses to lift up the notion of God high above the Egyptian deities. The Egyptians claimed, for example, that the bright sun was a god. They claimed that the rising waters of the Nile was another god. They even claimed that Pharaoh was one of their highest and greatest gods. But what did God do with the plagues that descended upon Egypt? God shut down Egypt's false gods. He darkened the sun for three days. He turned the Nile red like blood. And the angel of death extinguished the lives of the firstborn in Egypt, including the son of the divine Pharaoh. For Moses... God was above the world, and he created it all. God was not river water, sunshine, or the Pharaoh. Now this elevated nature of God is so wonderfully and simply expressed in the name that God gave to himself when he said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell them, I am sent you. God is who he is, and we must respect God as he is. And yet we long for God to come close, closer than the distant heavens, closer than the immovable, untouchable, eternal presence that seems so distant from us. And I would suggest to you, God comes close to us in Jesus. In a verse I shared with you just 11 weeks ago from this very pulpit from the book of Philippians, Paul writes, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born, how? In the likeness of men. Jesus brings God close to us. And he did it for Paul in scene three of our great I Am scriptures. In scene three, we look into Paul. He's writing another of his letters. This one, he's writing to the Corinthians. First letter to the Corinthians. And as as, as Paul is there writing, he writes there with his pen, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now here, Paul, mind you, he's not claiming to be divine like Jesus was claiming to be divine. He's just saying that what he is in his new life in Christ He is that because of the grace of God. I'm not so sure I'd have liked Paul before he was a Christian. I'm not so sure you would have liked Paul before he was a Christian. He was perfectionistic. Nothing wrong with that. I'm persuaded. There's a ton of perfectionists here in this sanctuary and up here in this choir loft. They, They couldn't have played that music like they did unless there was some perfectionistic leadership and members among them. Paul was perfectionistic, but he was also legalistic, hard-nosed, judgmental, and a Pharisee who was out to arrest and kill every Christian he could. But a blinding flash of light from heaven struck him when he was on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. It blinded him temporarily on that trip, or on that trip, and began to humble him soon his blindness was healed by a christian in the waiting city and paul was converted baptized and then he eagerly began to seek god he eagerly began to serve god and he eagerly began to proclaim the very christ he had opposed in the midst of his transition and wonderful change though he did not hide his dark sinful history here's what he confessed he said i was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man. I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And then he says in another passage, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Quite a confession for a man like Paul. Well, in our third I Am text from Paul, Paul gave credit to God's grace for changing his life. Hear those words from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15.10 again, where Paul declared, By the grace of God I am what I am. And he further described that grace in Timothy. He said, The grace of our Lord was poured out upon me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. He became new by God's grace. He became a new I am. I believe that you and I can become a new I am by God's grace, reaching into and reaching up for that new identity that God always planned for us, designed for us to be. There may be addictions embedded in our body chemistry, but I do not believe that they are meant to be our ultimate identity and destiny. Unholy habits may be wired into the chemistry and the neurology of our brain, and the bad habits and choices we've made may cling to us. But they're not meant to be our forever identity. Damaged emotions that trouble us, sometimes haunt us,
1: and have infected our
0: deepest heart. They're not meant to dominate us forever. Even our genetically rewired predispositions, which sometimes push our choices outside God's will, don't have to rule us forever. By ourselves, we generally cannot rewire our inward identities. But by the grace of God, our past can be forgiven. Our history's impact upon us can be overcome. And God's grace can lift us above that past and even our predispositions toward a new future of growing christ Some people reach that change quickly when they accept Christ. Others find that change coming more gradually as they struggle past failures that frequently occur and with God's help learn to rise above them. Some persons I've known may even struggle for a lifetime with parts of their old nature, winning victory not in one mammoth fell swoop, but winning victory one day at a time, one hour at a time, until they're released at death from their struggle in the times of heavenly healing. But our temptations... And our old nature must not derail us into rewriting God's word as if because we are this way, we can amend God's word to approve exactly what we do. We must not ventriloquize, that's actually a word in in the dictionary, we must not ventriloquize our voices into the mouth of Christ to make him try to speak words of approval for our forbidden behaviors. Jesus Christ will never be our puppet dancing from the tips of our strings. There was a British boy. He lost his mother at age seven. And four years later, he followed his father out onto the high seas. After a life of great, great upheaval, he eventually became captain for many years of slave ships that were sailing merchandise to Africa and from Africa, then they loaded on board that despicable business of slave trade, and it would transport those slaves over to the rest Western world. A stroke in midlife derailed his shipping career, and in the midst of that time, he was converted, and he began studies for the Anglican priesthood. But it took many, many years for his Christian conscience catch up to the implications of his Christian commitment. Finally, he renounced slavery fully in 1788 and he supported the efforts to exterminate the British slave trade. Two to three years before his death, he made a confession to a fellow minister after somebody read our text from this morning to him. 1 Corinthians 15:10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And here was what John Newton confessed.
1: He said, though I am not
0: what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and a slave to Satan. I can heartily join with the Apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. That repentant man was the offer of the classic, wonderful, encouraging song, Amazing Grace. My friends, let us aspire to rise to a fully Christian identity in Jesus Christ. By the authority of God the Father, the Great I Am, let us arise to that new identity in Christ by the amazing grace of Christ, the human incarnation God with us of the great I am so that what so that we too can rejoice with all and say of our new Christian identity by the grace of God I am what I am God promises to you in other words from st. Paul in 2nd Corinthians my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness My grace, God's grace, my friends, is sufficient for you. Let's stand now for our closing hymn, and as we declare our love for Christ, sing to the great I Am, More Love to Thee, O Christ.